Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome to episode 68 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam, and his name is Dave. What's up? Good evening. Good to be with you again. Mm. Yes. Good whatever time it is for you listening to this. Yeah, that's true. This is this is time-delayed audio, Dave. Who yes. knows? Humans from 2,000 years in the future could discover this ancient form of file called .mp3 figure out how to decode it and be stuck listening to us. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? So, future humans, Jesus loves you, and the Cubs don't win the World Series this year. No. <laughs> We've discussed that before. I'm just trying to push Dave's buttons. Although, <laughs> if I was doing that, I should have said Cubs do win the World Series. No. Ooh, and they could call it the L Series because they would beat the White Sox, even though that's that's not likely this year. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. No, but we are back with another episode. We are happy to be here. We're excited. We've got quite a bit uh, of Jesus to discuss. Um, But before I dive into that, I wanted to let uh, one of our listeners know that, hey, Justin, friend, I saw you earlier today. I got your follow-up about the sermon from Tim Keller. I will listen to it this week, and we will discuss it next week. This is my public way of being accountable to my friend <laughs> who listens to the show and sends me stuff uh, every once in a while, and I feel bad that I haven't listened to it yet. So, Justin, we, I will listen to that. Thank you for sending it to me, and uh, I'll have some follow-up on Justin's um, suggestion for next episode, episode 69. So, whew, there we go. Anything that you want to say, Dave? No, I think that uh, I'm good. All right. Well, shortest intro to the show <laughs> ever. Well, let's just dive into the Bible then. I mean, that's why we're here, right? Sure. We can certainly do oh, that. Oh, hold on. I forgot before we get to the Bible. I do have one more thing that I have to do. I think this is our first, our first on this show. I'm going to do a shout out. That's what the kids call it, I think. <laughs> I'm not really going to shout, though, because that would ruin the audio quality. but. Uh, to all of my college buddies that are in the fantasy football draft that's going on right now, that are being so kind to let me podcast while it occurs, you have been shouted out. Is that the phrase? Sure. I have, I have shouted out to them. I don't know. I'm trying to be funny and it's really not working. I think what they really want to know is who you're going to draft. Well, it's not my pick yet. So, and it, they, um, they'll, they'll know your pick before they listen to the podcast. So, it doesn't really this is true. Okay. In that case, uh, <laughs> I'm kind of hoping Jeremy Langford falls to me, the starting running back for the Bears. He did really well last year in spells for Forte, and Forte's gone now. So, interesting. Uh, even though he plays for the Bears, uh, he's still a good young, he's a good young football <laughs> player. And then also Willie Sneed, the, the wide receiver for New Orleans. Oh, so we'll see. One of those two guys is who I'm aiming at. Now, granted, there are one, two, three more picks before I go, so there's a chance that both of them will be taken, in which case I might go Emmanuel Sanders from the Broncos. We'll see. Hmm. That has been Fantasy Football with Cam. (laughs) Awesome. But yes, to all of my friends uh, in that league, you guys are going down. Now, let's talk about Jesus. Humble me, Dave. Humble you? I I can read the verse. Well, that's good enough. (laughs) Matthew 20, 1 through 16. 
For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for Daenerys, oh, Daenerys. Yeah, this isn't Game of Thrones. Daenerys. Yes. <laughs> a day. He sent them into his vineyard. And going out the third hour, he saw standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again the sixth hour and ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And then and when those who's... <clears throat> Gosh, having a rough time tonight. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a, a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have come, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last workers I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. All right. So uh, I think before we continue, uh, a quick definition of the term denarius. Uh, based on everything I've been taught and the research that I've done, you know, in, in schooling and, and in uh, ministry and such, a denarius equaled one day's wage. Yeah. So when he goes out in the third hour and he's like, hey, you guys aren't doing anything. How about you go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you, right? I will pay you a day's wage. Whatever the going rate for a day's hard labor is, that's what you're going to get. That turns out to be a denarius. You know, which I, I don't know how much that would be in today's American dollars. I don't really think it, it's important other than knowing that it's equal pay for a full day's work. So when we get to the end, we're going to want to keep that in mind when the guys and ladies that worked the whole day get mad about being paid for a whole day's work. Mm -hmm. It's an important thing to remember. Um, but first, uh, I I hope that it's fairly clear that in this parable, we are the laborers in the vineyard, uh, and that Jesus is the, or God, the Father, as it were, is the vineyard master. And he is the one that is going out and finding us and bringing us to do his work, right? Is this a, is this a fair assumption for me to make, that we are the laborers in this situation? Yes. I would say that's fair. And when you say we, I even go as far as saying those who choose to believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Well, I, I was going to be even more general in that we is just humans, because he's going out, and in this, in this scenario, he's going out and finding people. They're not workers from the get-go. They're standing there being idle. So it is, I think that the, the potential worker is anybody. Sure. But Yes, yes. That's fair. But the person that actually goes into the vineyard is the person that has entered the kingdom to do God's work. Mm -hmm. So he's not out there looking for experienced vineyard workers. He's just like, hey, you guys aren't doing anything. You're standing there idle. I'm going to pay you a day's work. Come work for me. 
and I've got lots of thoughts about that concept mm-hmm. because I have just we'll get there. Um, <laughs> no, I really I really like this passage because I think it it particularly has a lot of application to what's going on today. I think, even though I would agree. even though I've only ever worked a vineyard once, I've never worked a vineyard. Do we have time for a quick story? I don't even think I've been to a vineyard. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we love going to the wineries. Never. Bring like a little, uh, you know, picnic lunch, some cheese, some crackers, some hummus, some veggies, get a nice bottle of wine, enjoy the beautiful Kansas heat. No, I only go in the spring and the fall. I don't go in the summertime. Um, but a few years ago, there's a local winery here in Kansas that um, occasionally will crowdsource their harvesting. Mm-hmm. So where you show up at nine, you harvest grapes for three hours, and then they provide you with a gourmet lunch and free wine. And this happened to be on, I think, our f- fifth wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. So like two years ago, maybe three years ago, it's fourth or fifth wedding anniversary, they were doing this. We'd never done it. I took the day off work. We went and picked grapes and then had a really great lunch and then went home and just lazed about the rest of the day. It was a great way to celebrate the anniversary. So cool. Check it out. But my point is, I think I had a point. I don't know. Um, yeah, let's just move on. Cause I don't remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just wanted to tell that story. I think that's really mm-hmm. what that boils down to. Um, but right. So we are the laborers in the vineyard in this situation, whether we show up in the third hour or we show up in the 11th hour, the point is that we are the people that God is pulling in to do his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I also find very interesting about this is that God is always looking for more workers. Mm-hmm. He goes out in the third hour, finds some people. Then he went out again in the sixth hour, in the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour. And he's always looking for more people to bring in. And I think this is. Uh, something that we have to remind ourselves as Christians that we're not the last ones in. Like God's grace and his desire to save people doesn't end with you. You're not the last one on the ark, right? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times, and we've talked about this in the past, about how uh, we feel like a lot of uh, Christians and a lot of the church are, so, are too busy judging people outside of the church and not at all concerned with the judging people inside the church, that we kind of get in the the holy huddle or whatever, and we're like, oh, we're good, but you most certainly can't come. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that this is an interesting reminder to us that God's never satisfied with the number of people that he has. He always is out looking for more people. He's always finding new people and new ways to reach those people. Mm-hmm. That's why the early church was so keen on preaching the gospel and going out and eating with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and, and doing things differently than the establishment had done. They were always on. That's why Paul kept going and moving and moving and moving and setting up a house church and raising up a leader and then moving to the next town and moving to the next town and moving to the next town. Because they, I think, through the Holy Spirit, received that uh, insatiable desire to get more and more people to the truth. 
Um, so I just, I find it very, um, I think a prudent reminder that as Christians, we need to follow God in this regard, that we need to be on the lookout for more people. And I, I am probably the last person to walk up to a stranger and be like, Hey, do you know Jesus? <laughs> not, that's just not how I operate. I don't, I'm a hermit, <laughs> you know? And yeah. So me walking up to a random stranger and saying, Hey, the kingdom of God is, you know, looking for more people. Are you interested? Probably never going to happen. But that means that I have to find ways as an introvert, as someone who'd rather just be alone. I need to find ways where I can still help contribute to God's seeking of people that need to be in the kingdom. And maybe this podcast is one of those ways. I don't know. Um, but I, I'd like to hear your thoughts, Dave, on, on God's you know persistence of going after more people. Um, you know, what immediately comes to my mind is, is Matthew nine thirty seven. Uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And the, uh, the therefore that follows up is to pray for more workers. And so kind of in line of what you were saying of when God tells us that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, he doesn't tell us, hey, it's your job to go find those workers. He tells us it's our job to pray. And so I guess that's, that's sort hmm. of my, my first thought is interesting. Um, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll try to speak for myself here of, um, I know I don't pray nearly as, as broadly as I should. I have very egocentric prayers, <laughs> very self-centered prayers, very self-serving prayers. and. I think this is one of those places where um, uh, praying f for more workers, you know, because there, there's significance in that. And uh, I don't know that I've completely really thought about what the implications of being a worker is, because uh, there's certainly endless need. Um, I get uh, I get job alerts from International Justice Mission, who uh, their main focus is, well, I would say their main focus is bring bringing justice where justice has not been before, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, a large percent of that is dealing with people, uh, young women that are brought into the sex trafficking. But I, I am just amazed at how frequently I get job alerts from there from them. It's just an email of saying, we're doing this, we're doing this. And, you know, they need, they, they run the gamut from it, HR, you know, it, it, God is obviously doing something at international justice mission. And, um, I guess, so I guess in, 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 in short, what I'm saying is, is that there is a huge need for his workers, whether that is a true worker job of 
um, going to work for someplace like the International Justice Mission, or if it is just a praying for those, praying for others in terms of just just kingdom work, what we all do day in and day out of being a follower of Jesus Christ. We need to have um, the, the term that's coming to my mind. I go to Heartland Community Church in Olathe. Um, is they use the term arrows out. Our arrows need to be pointed out towards others instead of, you know, kind of into ourselves, in towards ourselves. And so, um, yeah, hope that makes a little bit of sense. But I, I, I think God, God is very much about, about that. And there, there are so many, so many um, levels to that. Oh, I know what I was going to say earlier. And for me, I think my prayers need to be just, just broader than what they are and praying for others, people I just don't even know, praying for the kingdom. And again, that I mentioned earlier, talking about using liturgy or um, traditional church prayers throughout history. And it's like, gosh, these have such a outward focus. It's not about my needs for today. It's really about God and his kingdom and what he's doing amongst his, his followers. And yeah, what um, if I don't know if you know this off, off the top of your head, but what um, are you like referencing a certain liturgy or a certain book of prayer for those sorts of things? Or are you just finding old ones online? Or I um, uh, if you Google uh, daily office. In terms of prayer, that's right. Okay, I remember you mentioned that before. Um, the daily office from the Mission of Saint Clair. Yeah, Mission Saint Clair. So it's Mission Saint Clair. S T C L A R E dot com. It'll be in the show notes. Is um, the one for me, and again, I I wish I was better about knowing <laughs> um, the history and and all that, but. Um, I mean, it, it, it's, there's the Anglican, there's Methodist, there's Orthodox. Uh, I mean, there's a New Zealand prayer book, prayer book, uh, in here. So uh, I, for me, it's, it's, it's sort of hit and miss. Um, I haven't landed on anything in particular. I don't know if I'll, I ever will land on anything in particular, but, um, uh, well, I guess my, if I can cut you off. There, sure. Sorry. Yeah. Um, my, my thinking here is like, um, it has been my experience that left to my own devices, I do not spend not even adequate, but like barely any time in prayer because I've got lots of other exciting things to do to waste my time. And prayer just seems like something that I'll get to it later. Right. And I, and I never do. And so this like equates to me of like, I haven't worked out probably in like four years and I got fat. So, uh, one of the perks of my job is that I now have a personal trainer two days a week. And I was not willing to work out on my own, but now that I have someone that directs me and how to do it and how to do it correctly. 
it's a no-brainer for me because I just show up and do what he says. He says, lift this, I lift that. He says, push that, I push that. He says, do crunches, and I laugh at him. But <laughs> the point is to me, like, I, you know, my track record was I don't work out. So I put something, and thanks to my boss for giving me this opportunity, was able to put something in my life that took the decision away from me and said, no, it's Monday and Thursday at 930 that we work out at this time. And you show up and you do what this guy tells you to do. And then you, and guess what? It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I've only done it three times and I already feel, <laughs> I already feel better. I can tell a difference in my body. Mm-hmm. Not much has changed on the outward side, but just the way that I feel about my body and the way that like, I can actually feel like uh, my abs and I can feel my legs and I can feel, you know, my lats and my triceps because I'm actually doing the work. And it's because I've put, this coach in my life that removes the I don't want to do it option. It's like, no, I'm here. We're paying good money. I might as well. And so to me, like the, the, the daily prayers, the daily offices, the liturgy is the personal trainer for mm-hmm. prayer. Yes. I don't, I don't have to come up with my workout and then go to the gym and execute it. No, I show up. Someone has, has curated the workout, or in this case, the prayer for me, I can show up and in the midst of my stress or my busy day, I can have a moment where there's something prepared for me that is going to remind me of why I need to pray. Mm-hmm. And to your point that it's, it's, it's outward focused, because so many times when we're praying, we're like, oh, I'm stressed. Help me with this. Help me with that. Help me not be like this. Help me be more like that. But I often find when you read, you know, these, these old prayers, it's about, and it's about other people. That's even more humbling than praying for yourself. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so much else going on in the world besides yes. my little bubble. And so I kind of equate this stuff to a personal trainer for prayer. And then even more in depth after that is, is your spiritual walk. And if, and if I can use a personal trainer to help me get into better shape physically, why would I not use a spiritual trainer in this instance mm-hmm. to help me remember the importance of prayer and why we do it and why I need to do it? Yeah. And I just, yeah, I need to, I need that. And, and I, I, I'm fairly certain I've mentioned this before, but what, what just stood out to me is, well, the, for tonight's prayer, August 2nd, um, the nighttime prayer under confession, it just begins, let us humbly confess our sins unto Almighty God, most merciful God. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And it goes on. And part of just what hit for me on this is, one, the the plural pronouns. It's not me. It's not I. It's we. It's us. Um, and so that was a big part of it. Do you know how many modern worship songs I want to rewrite and remove I and put we? Yeah. And and not. I mean, one to make a point. It's okay. It's it has its it's because it, there is an individual. There there is, but but there are so, so many American. more songs where I'm just like, if we were <laughs> if, and part of me wants to make a point, but the other part of me is like. This would be so much more powerful mm-hmm. if it said we instead of I. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that has just stood out to me is I, 
I, I, I'm still wrestling with this a little bit because I think there's a place for, um, confessing a particular sin of, okay, God, I know I did this and I shouldn't have done that, but I think we can kind of get mired in the minutia of our confessing sins and listing them all out. And there is just this sense of, um, we have sinned against you thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. There's just this, for me personally, in, in, in my relationship with, with God of just, um, him sort of going there, there, there's like his grace, his awesome grace of just, yeah, you're absolutely right. That that is all true. And all of it is forgiven. And you don't have to list the, the individual sins and, oh, if you think of it later and something comes to your mind that you need to confess, go ahead and confess it. Um, but, uh, the the broad prayers are actually quite sufficient uh, when your heart is in that right place of of coming before Him and asking for forgiveness. Indeed. Oh my! Still so much to talk about, Dave. I know. <laughs> All right, so let's go to verse seven. Um, this is a verse that I'm particularly interested in. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I suppose we should back up to verse 6. He said, about the 11th hour, so the very end of the day, he went out and found others standing. So these guys have been standing there all day. He said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? Like, what's going on? Why are you guys still here? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So these guys are looking for work, theoretically. But they just stand there all day waiting for something to happen to them. Mm-hmm. They're just standing there, and they're waiting to be chosen, right? And I just kind of wonder, like, how many people today are just waiting for someone to choose them? It's not that they're anti-God. It's not that they're anti-Christianity. It's not that how many people are just waiting for somebody to reach out and choose them and say, you matter. Mm-hmm. Your life has value. Can I, can I show you why? I just wonder, like, how many people are just going through the motions of everyday life, wondering what this is all about? Why do I have such a crappy job? Why does my family suck so much? Why this? Why that? Why, why are people blowing each other up? And why are people shooting cops? And why are cops shooting people? And why are people running people over with trucks in France and blowing people up in the Middle East and cutting people's heads off in Syria? And why is all this happening? How many people are just waiting to be given the opportunity to be shown that there's meaning and purpose to life. I just wonder. Mm-hmm. And so I see a verse like this where they're like, we, we, no one, no one chose us. So we just, we just stood here until now because we didn't know what else to do. You know? Mm-hmm. And that, I have to feel like I have, I have to believe that there are people like that right now that just don't know what to do because they've not been given any sort of guidance, you know? And that kind of breaks my heart if that's the case, if someone's just standing there their whole, in this case, the whole day, you know, but maybe this person's whole life of 
no one no one chose me no one showed me showed me the way no one gave me a second look and what what revealing Jesus to that person might do for them yeah and um Hmm. And again, I, as Cam and I have the microphones in front of us, um, at, at least for me, a lot of a lot of what I say, a lot of what comes out is is an element of thinking out loud, and I haven't definitively, you know. I guess for me, this is a conversation, and I know much of it's between you and I, but I hope that our listeners feel like they're a part of the conversation. But I, I, as you were talking about this, I had the, had a moment of uh, being somebody that's either standing next to that crowd waiting all day, or maybe even being a person in that crowd. And what is the conversation that is going on as they're waiting there idle? And I guess I had this sort of sense of that the conversation probably indicates some sort of not wanting to be chosen. Um, You know, there's this sort of outward, like what we say that becomes sort of our, our wall, our, our protection, what we, we, we sort of put out there uh, to protect our hearts, to protect our, you know, innermost insecurities. And, so as I'm as I'm standing there in this group of people, is the conversation? Eh, I don't really want to work. It's kind of nice, you know. You can stand here. Um, don't want to be in that hot sun, doing you know, picking the grapes, and uh, yeah, the guy that owns a vineyard, he's a real jerk, and you know, just you know, there's just those kind of conversations. And so on the surface, as I'm standing there in the group, listening to everybody else kind of talk about why they haven't been chosen the conversation would sound like people don't want to be chosen. But yet when that moment comes, they're very quick to, to accept that invitation. And so I know, I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes I don't make that invite. Sometimes I don't reach out to others because I feel like the message that they're giving to me is one of, I don't want it. I'm not interested. And I think that's just a, Classic self-defense mechanism. Right. Well, no one chose me in gym. That's cool. Gym's dumb. I don't want to be chosen. Sports are stupid. Like, just what, whatever you can do to make the situation outwardly look like it doesn't hurt you. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, that's just classic self-defense, I think. And so, yeah, I think it's classic self-defense. But I, I then go, well, yeah, I didn't speak up. Well, nobody really wanted it. They were all saying things. And so there's this, I guess internal monologue that I'm having here of just how often do I make excuses for, well, I'm hearing this. And so I don't say something because they act like they don't want it. But the reality is, is I I know what we've got is a pretty dang good thing and (laughs) probably should get out of my comfort zone and be more willing to speak up uh, when the opportunity presents itself. And again, um, it's not my job to convict. It's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But there is this just wonderful opportunity of partnering with God and what He's doing 
when we do step out of our comfort zone and uh, share with people that we might not normally share with. Yeah. Or somebody that we see every day and we know really well and we think, <laughs> or we think we know them really well. And the reality is, is on the inside, they're just um, literally, figuratively dying to know about the gospel. Yeah. Good point. Maybe. As always. <laughs> uh, all right, up next, I want to jump ahead to verse 9. So Jesus okay. has, or sorry, the master of the vineyard has said, all right, it's the end of the day, pay everyone their wages. But start with the workers that showed up last and work your way to the ones that showed up first. There's a theme here. Um, he says, uh, it, er, sorry, it says, when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. And remember, denarius is equal to a full day's wage. So those that showed up at the very end of the day and worked the least got paid for a full day's wage. And this, to me, is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I think it, if you just kind of realize what this parable is about, and it's about God's willingness to give out grace completely unmerited. Everyone got paid a full day's wage, regardless of how long they worked. And this to me is an example of, it doesn't matter to God when in history you've joined the story, you still receive the same gift. And I think it's, can you imagine being one of those men or women that were standing there all day, maybe begrudgingly not wanting to work, maybe, maybe just being desperate, but they don't have, you know, the physical gifts that a vineyard laborer needs. You know, maybe they're, they're small, they're weak, they're old, and they're going to pick the young strapping workers to do the work because they're going to get more done, right? More for their money. But to be one of those people to get, this guy to show up at the end of the day saying, you've been here all day. Okay, come work. And then you get paid a full day's wage for a few hours work. That's going to, that's going to leave a lasting mark, hopefully, unless you're greedy. (laughs) But I think it, it, it can't be lost on us that as, as Christians, we have to remember that no one is beyond receiving the same gift that we have received. Just because they've been off doing other things for a long time doesn't mean that God would not willingly accept them into his kingdom and give to them the same thing that he's given to us. And I think this is where it becomes incredibly important for us to stop judging people that are not Christians for the way that they live their lives. Because guess what? If I wasn't a Christian, I'd be living my life differently. I'd be doing things that make me feel good and give me success and give me importance much differently than I do now. And trust me, there are things that I do now that I should not do because I'm a Christian and I'm still struggling with that, that tension. But I can't look at someone who's not a Christian and judge them for sleeping around, judge them for idolizing money, judge them for p- 
putting work ahead of relationships. Judge them for wanting to be famous. Judge them for wanting to buy themselves nice things instead of giving to the poor. Because they're not... How do I want to say this? They're not called to do those things because they don't follow God, right? So why would I expect someone to do godly things before they get to meet God? Why would I judge that person for doing ungodly things when I know that they don't know God? Yeah, and if you really think about it, it makes more sense to behave that way. It makes complete sense. It makes a lot more sense to... to uh uh to coin a beer commercial from the 70s go for the gusto uh you know cuz why not why wouldn't you if this is all you've got then do what makes you happy well and do what's going to give you the best experience while you're here mhm and for a lot of people that's money power and success cuz why not enjoy the finer things of life mhm and there's nothing you can't blame a non-christian for wanting to be any of those things because that's what the world says you're supposed to be and frankly being rich is really nice i would imagine <laughs> i'd love to be rich i'd love to not have to worry about paying for daycare or buying a new car or paying for a kid's college or wedding or buying a new, like I would love to not have to worry about any of that stuff. I'd love to wake up and go, Hmm, what should I do today? And I get really caught up in that. of like, what can I do now that is going to put me in a position later in life where that is a reality? Um, but then I remember, like, that's really not what it's about. And maybe maybe the, the struggle with that sort of stuff is what I need right now to remember that ultimately it's my relationship with God that matters than how new my car is or how big my house is or how much money I have in the bank account. Now, granted, having money, having a house, having a car are all things that I kind of need. Mm-hmm. But they're not the purpose for why I'm here. No. And and so I just think it's incredible if I can try and bring this back, that God would give the exact same gift to people who have been with him since they could understand what the gospel meant and to people that only understand it late in life, but come to that same saving knowledge of Christ and of God and of the Holy Spirit and of the gospel and, and, and all, and all of what that encompasses. And I mean, you're just not going to find anything greater in life than God saying your sins are forgiven. All 75 years of them forgiven. Mm-hmm. Oh, two years, I'll t- it doesn't matter. Salvation is not a time-dependent gift. It is, it is 
eternal and ever present and just it's there for you to experience regardless of how late to the game you might be mm-hmm. it doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah and i've always suspected that and obviously we don't know totally how it works but I've always suspected that when we get to heaven that there's going to be people aren't, who aren't there that we thought were going to be there. <laughs> and then there's going to be people like, you? Really? Wow, that's how'd you get in? No. Um, because I, I think one of the things about this parable is, yes, there's definitely that element of when in life did you make that decision and when did you become a follower? And I also think there's that, that element of um, the behaviors, you know, I think there's going to be certain you know people that just genuinely struggle more outwardly. You know, I think we all struggle. I just think some of us are better at kind of hiding it and keeping it out there while there's just those. Um, and this, this comes from my personally, just from my experience of doing ministry, those people that just you're always almost kind of a Peter like type of, oh my gosh, you did it again, sort of a thing. <laughs> and it's that, you know, they live life wholeheartedly. And because they live it wholeheartedly, there's that element of they say things they shouldn't, they do things they shouldn't, and their sins are just much more visible to everybody. And so you think, oh no. Not you, not yeah. That guy's a mess or whatever. And yes, just, no. He just doesn't hide it. He just doesn't hide it as well as you or I do. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's another reason people go for money is that you can hide your problems easier. That is yes. One of the things that I I learned, I don't think I quite learned it until I was maybe in high school or very early college. Um, I grew up in Metro Detroit. I grew up in a town called Gross Point. Um which is actually five smaller towns that all are part of Gross Point, but that's not important. The point is that Gross Point is very affluent, very non-black. There's a lot of diversity within, you know, the the white folks. There's lots of Italians and Greeks and um, uh, Armenians and, um, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, but it's mostly white folks and then variations within the European you know, realm of white people. And there are very few African-American families that live, that lived there. It's, it's gotten more diverse since uh, I've, you know, been out of school, Um, but it's still predominantly upper middle class to upper class white people. And the very interesting thing about Gross Point is that it is the first suburb North of Detroit. And there is this road in Detroit called Alter Road. And, um, I don't know if it's still considered this, but there was a long time in history where Alta Road was considered the most racially segregating road in the entire country because, and I will, uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's, it is just mind boggling, um, how, how much things change between the North side of Alta Road and the South side of Alta Road. It's a two-lane road, one one lane in each direction. South of Alta Road, you've got Detroit. 
you've got cars on cinder blocks, you've got burned down drug dens, you've got houses in decay. You've got a few really nice houses for the few folks that have stayed and have kept their houses up, but it, by all intents and purposes, is a really, really rough house values are anywhere from three to $20,000. <laughs> you know, maybe 40 for a really, really, really nice one just because of the neighborhood is the police stations in that area have shut down. The closest hospital has shut down. And this is also where I went to church for high school and college. And you go north of Alter Road and you have houses anywhere from 250000 to $2 million, depending on how close they are to the lake and how big the lot is and how old they are. I mean, we're talking houses built in the late 1800s, early 1900s with with servants' quarters and servants' staircases and made out of all stone. And I mean, they're, they're gorgeous. Um, and you've got Mercedes and Maseratis and Lamborghinis and Porsches and Corvettes and, you know, uh, old school Mustangs, just aff- affluence through and through. Kids, kids rolling into high school in... Uh, Mercedes-Benz G-Wagons and Subaru WRX is all tricked out. BMW 3 Series everywhere. One road separates this. 20 feet across, maybe. And I had a reason for telling the story, and I <laughs> completely don't remember. Oh, 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 money covers problems, right? The problems that the people that lived in that really, really poor neighborhood in Detroit had and the problems that the really, really rich people in Gross Point had are the same problems. Why am I here? What's the point? Yeah. Why do I feel inadequate? Why do I feel depressed? Why am I not fulfilled with my life? It doesn't matter if you live in a nine-bedroom, 10,000-square-foot home or a two-bedroom, decayed house. The human problem is still the human problem. It's just that mm-hmm. the money covers it up far better to where people think that you've got it all figured out. When in reality, we used to joke, I went to that, the high school that was in that part of town was called Gross Point South, and I went to Gross Point North, which was still a very, very, very nice part of town, but was much more um, down to earth as far as like the houses, you know, were like three or four bedrooms, which I makes it sound like they're small. Like I grew up in nice homes and I grew up with nice things and my parents made good money, but not, we were not millionaires. We were, you know, still very well to do. And my parents provided an incredible life for me growing up. Um, but relative to the other part of gross point, we were the normal ones, but relative to a lot of other towns, we were the rich kids. Um, we always used to joke our, at our high school, the kids smoked pot at South. The kids did Coke. Because they could afford the designer drugs. And we were too poor. We could only get... I never smoked it. (laughs) Thank God. Because honestly, Dave, if I did, I think I'd be a hippie on the side of a mountain right now. Like, I don't think... I don't... Like, people have always joked, like, are you going to go to Colorado and smoke a joint? No. Because my life would be over, I think, if I did that. I know myself too well. Yeah. And luckily, by the grace of God, I was able to stay away from that sort of stuff in high school, even though I had ample opportunity to do it. Um, but the point of all of this is that whether you're a poor kid, whether you're a middle-class kid, whether you're an upper-class kid or an adult for that matter, 
the same feelings of these people standing idle waiting for someone to choose them are there. Yeah. We just have different options to cover those problems up. And when you have money, you don't necessarily have to resort to violence or no. theft or right. just to survive, right? You can do whatever you want. But it's unfortunate that the folks that suffer that same human problem that don't have any other way out are stuck to resorting to perpetuating the poverty cycle. And it, and it all comes down to that human problem of why am I here? Why does this feel so inadequate? Why has no one chosen me? Why, why can't I figure out what this is all about? And we, we are given so many life is about money. Life is about power. Life is about sex. Life is about, you know, being a thug. Life is about being a lawyer. Like whatever you, wherever you grow up, life is about something. Mm -hmm. And it's always bull crap. <laughs> If I can be, I almost cussed, but I, 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 I didn't. <laughs> I said crap. I'm proud of myself. Yes, good job. Sorry if that sounded preachy, but that's just something that I've been really churning on for like years. That whole like human problem thing, like that is not unique to your situation. Your like that right. is that is a baseline thing that all people feel. It, what what changes is what it gets covered up by. Yep, exactly. So yeah, I I, I came to that conclusion when I was younger, and I still don't know what to do about it. <laughs> and that's what's frustrating. Because I have those questions, you know. I still, I mean, I know Jesus. I know the Bible. I know that that God is good and that God has saved me, but I'm still just like, what is the, like, why, why did he leave us in charge? <laughs> like no offense, but that's kind of a dumb idea. Mm -hmm. And I, so I just, I, even though I know the truth and even though I believe it, and even though, um, I know what the end game is, I still just kind of scratch my head. Like, why did, why, why are we so screwed up? <laughs> I don't know. Does that make any sense? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yes. Sorry. Sometimes I get talking like that and I forget where I am. <laughs> like, I just I get so into my own head and into my own thoughts mm -hmm. that I forget that I'm actually talking into a microphone and I'm just like, it's just stream of consciousness. Just just go with it. And then I kind of realize, like, oh, my gosh, I had a point when I started and, and someone is listening to this and I need to sound somewhat like I know where I'm going with my thoughts and then I panic. So yes. Anyways, full disclosure. <laughs> so Dave, yes. Why do the people that work all day, as it say, as it says in the passage, grumble that they have received the same pay as the 11th hour workers. Uh, I, I think, kind of what you were just talking about there, it goes back to um, our human nature, our um, sinful, fallen human nature. and Our and, rights. Yeah, and, and we're focused <laughs> on ourselves and what I get versus what uh, somebody else gets. And Yeah. It's 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 viewed as not fair. It's what it boils down to is it's not fair. 
he, I'm gonna have to talk to my wife about this, but I, I desperately want my kid to never say that's not fair, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to go about teaching my kid that the concept of fair is non-existent. You know, like, is that wrong of me to want my, you know, when she's four for her to say, well, okay. Like, where does the concept of fair, I just, you know, it's like, it's like Santa Claus and Easter Bunny to me. Why do we tell kids that they're real? Only to be like, <laughs> just kidding. We've been lying to you for the last six years, <laughs> but still trust us. We love you. I, I just, we've actually had the Santa Claus talk. We're on different pages on that one. That's still, uh, that's still to be <laughs> TBD. I don't know. I just, I want to, I want my, my kid to have a more realistic view of the way the world, like the sooner that she can understand the way the world works, I think that's only going to be better. Mm-hmm. And if she's jaded by the age of 10, I'm sorry, but that's the way the world, the world is, you know? Uh, I just, and I think you're right. It comes down to, to what's fair. I worked all day and you're going to pay me the same amount as you paid that guy for working an hour. That's not fair. Even though, as, as the master points out, did we, did we agree on a rate? Yes. I'm paying you what we agreed upon. How is that not fair? Is it not up to me to do with my own money as I please? Are you going to begrudge me my graciousness? Like, (laughs) I think it's an amazing rebuttal. Like, we agreed on a price, a fair day's wage. You got what you paid for. You can't tell me what to do with my money. I hired this guy on a completely separate contract apart from yours. These are two unrelated matters. It is up to me to do with my stuff as I please. I have met my obligation to you, and my obligation to you was fair and good. And you were treated well. Yep. Good day, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. You can't leave. This is the kingdom of God. You're stuck. So, yeah, I, I think, it, like you said, it comes down to fairness. And I don't know where we get this concept that life is fair and that it's going to shake out and we're going to get what we're due. And God, I sound like such a curmudgeon. <laughs> no one has rights and fairness isn't a thing. I'm so- <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, I mentioned international justice mission addition, additionally to getting their job postings. I also get just regular updates, prayer, um, praying for people. And, uh, I think of people, you know, there was recently one where two people were wrongly accused of being theft, uh, of, of stealing, of being thieves. And it took eight years for them to have those charges like be exonerated and, and have them dropped and their innocence proven. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I, I complain about so many things and I can't even imagine being in that situation of eight years being in jail for something I didn't do. And it, yeah. It just it just makes me realize the things that I complain about are so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think <clears throat> these two thoughts really lead up to our last point here before we uh, say goodbye, is that it ends with the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Essentially, there's equality in God's kingdom. Not fairness, mm-hmm. but equality. Because fairness and equality are not the same thing. Right. 
And I think equality is much more important than fairness. Mm-hmm. And to that point, the master of the vineyard pays every worker, regardless of when they came to the vineyard, the same amount of money. Your, my gift to you is equal. Everyone gets the same amount, the same amount of money, regardless of how long you worked. So it's mm-hmm. not fair, but it's equal. And I think that that's going to be a really weird concept in heaven. Just like equality. Yeah. Like there's a lot of people that talk a good equality game here. No one really, <laughs> no one really wants equality. And it's, and it's always the majority that's, that's, that's chanting. Yeah. Equality, equal rights. Woo. And it's always the minority that's like, um, I don't think you understand what that means. <laughs> so anyways, I just, I think it would be, uh, gosh, I really need to get my thoughts together here. That concept of the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Like it, it, it does not matter to God how long we've been wearing his t-shirt. Right. Right. All that matters to him is that we're in the family. Doesn't matter if you're the first son or the last daughter. If you're in the family, you're in. Yeah. And I think that's really kind of what I'm latching onto with this one is like, it, it doesn't, it, it does not matter who you are or what you've done. Like there's still a spot for you if you want it. Yes. And God is out there always looking up until the 11th hour. He will be looking yeah. for people that, want to be chosen the people that are just like what what do i do and god's want to say here's what you do yeah and i just think that's a very compelling um a very compelling thing that god does to know that he's he's not just sitting in his, you know, up in his throne room like, yeah, they'll figure it out themselves. Even though, you know, we're in charge, <laughs> kind of. He is still actively out there working and pursuing and engaging people and meeting people in the midst of tragedy and success and saying, hey, I got something for you. Yeah. Had a interesting... And I don't even know what point I'm making here with this, but it 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 just kind of um, shook my thinking a little bit. Uh, youngest daughter is 15. Uh, she has a little brother who is nine. Little brother was adopted from Haiti. He has cerebral palsy. Um, did not walk when we adopted him. He can walk now still working on verbal skills family we're still we're, we're still learning to uh we're still learning sign language so we can communicate with him if the verbal skills don't come into play but um i made i made just a, an offhanded comment to olivia one time about her brother in that uh she really needed to serve him because in heaven the first will be last and the last will be first. So I was like, Hey, you're going to get to heaven and you're going to want to be on his side. Cause he's going to get, and she's, she looked at me like, what? 
And I go, you know, she goes, yeah, I know what the Bible says about the first will be last and last. You know, she's like, he's not last. And I'm like, really? You don't see that? She goes, no. Why does, why does, why is he considered last? Why does he get to be the one that becomes? And I, I guess my point being is, is I don't really know. Like, and I'm not going to try to come up with an answer here right now, but it was just very interesting that my daughter did not see her little brother who was handicapped, who was very dependent on others um, to get through his day is being in that category of the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And like I said, I'm not exactly sure what the point is that I'm making here right now, but, uh, it it was a very heartfelt from her of just literally like, what are you talking about? Like she just did not view him that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I guess my point being is I think God sees the world probably very differently than the way we see the world. Oh, I sure hope so. And, <laughs> you know, from the mouths of babes, you, you know, um, wisdom, but, um, yeah. So I'm not going to try to expand on that any, just my Ooh. story, just a little anecdotal of philosophical cliffhanger. She, she really challenged me in my thinking of why I would assume that he was, uh, I'll qu- use air quotes, a lesser in terms of the kingdom and where his position would be. So, hmm. Well, on that note. Sure. Thanks so much for listening to episode yes. 68 of the master class. Remember, you can share your thoughts with us on Twitter. Dave is at 10.8HBO, where eight's the only number. And I am at Cam Brennan. I'm going to make a spoof account for you where it literally is at 10.8HBO, where eight is the only number. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's just like a 70. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the worst picture of you I can find. And I'm just going to listen back to X episodes and, and write all the silly things that you say and tweet them. Okay. I'm not not because now you know it's me, so the trick is lost. Uh, uh, you can get me on Twitter at Cam Brennan. You can email us uh, hello at supermegacorp.net. And also, last but not least, please be sure to check out the show notes, which can be found at supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash sixty eight. Well, yeah. Until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>